Welcome to the EAE Podcasts, episode number 18. I'm Laura Rumbly, Associate Director for Knowledge Development and Research at the EAE. This episode in our series offers a quick and current dive into the big new world of micro-credentials, a topic that's risen rapidly in prominence in higher education policy circles in Europe, and of course elsewhere, over the last couple of years. To help us get our heads around what micro-credentials are and why they're the subject of so much interest today, we reached out to Maria Kello. Maria has been the director of ENQA, the Brussels-based European Association for Quality Assurance in Higher Education, since 2011. From this vantage point, she's been watching carefully as micro-credentials have taken on increasing visibility, with important implications for everything from student-centered learning to employability, quality assurance, and of course, internationalization. Maria, thank you so much for being with us and joining the EAE for uh, one of our podcast episodes. Uh, We're here to talk about micro-credentials, and I wanted to start off with a very fundamental, basic startup question for you. What is a micro-credential, and why is it such a hot topic right now in European higher education? Thank you, Laura. That is a very interesting question. What are these micro-credentials? Well, there are several definitions already running around, even just in the European context. But if we limit ourselves to the world of higher education, I think the definition created in the framework of a project that is called Microball is quite helpful. And according to that definition, a micro-credential is a small volume of learning certified by a credential. And it can be offered by higher education institutions or recognized by them. What is key is that a micro-credential is designed to provide the learner with kind of specific knowledge, skills and competencies on a specific topic. So it really is a focused unit of completed learning. And then as to the credential, it should have explicit learning outcomes linked to qualification framework, indicate the volume of learning, ideally in ECTS in Europe, and of course, be subject to quality assurance in line with the European standards and guidelines. So much like any other form of formal education offered by an institution. Now, of course, micro-credentials are as such not new, although many of us had not heard about them until about a year ago. I've discovered that in some countries, the entire system is built on a sort of stacking of separate credentials by modules or individual courses. And also there is a huge number and diversity of achievements in other areas that are you know, certified by a batch, like in military, in scout movement, voluntary work, you name it, it's there. So those can also be considered as kind of micro-credentials. And also this beloved baby has many names and that makes a common uh, discussion on the topic sometimes a bit complicated. But in the current format, how we now kind of imagine a micro-credential to look like, it is mainly online, mainly higher education, somehow directed to professional skills development. That kind of micro-credentials have really started quite recently and they kind of are growing organically and clearly responding to a demand from the learners. And we know they are offered by a large diversity of providers. And I would even say that probably higher education institutions have not been the initiators of this micro-credential movement. There are public entities, private companies, very much so, charities from Red Cross to Google and everything in between. So in some way, the micro-credentials that most people think about uh, when we talk about them is some kind of an upgraded MOOC, really. 
Now, since about a year, uh, micro-credentials have become a strong policy priority of the European Commission in particular, and also to some extent within the Bologna process. And for the Commission, the main objective in boosting micro-credential offer is first and foremost linked to increasing employability. So the whole discourse of reskilling and upskilling the labor force. And uh, these credentials have quite a prominent role in the vision for the European education area by the Commission and in the EU skills agenda, which mentions a European approach to micro-credentials as one of the action lines. And the process of creating such a, an approach, which also means a concrete framework, is now ongoing. So it's happening very much there. In the European higher education area context, the priority is very much more on student-centered learning and the whole idea of creating better flexible learning paths for students rather than on employability so much. But it is hard indeed to imagine an event or a policy discussion today without the mention of micro-credentials, that's for sure. That's a super helpful overview, I think, of what it is that we're talking about, the facts of the case, as it were. You've mentioned some of the aspirations that seem to be connected to micro-credentials, having to do with employability outcomes, having to do with more in the way of personal choice and autonomy when it comes to what a student creates and builds as their own educational path. So that leads me into a second question for you, which has to do with what kinds of problems potentially can micro-credentials solve? And what new challenges do they introduce to the learners who might be taking advantage of them or the systems that are trying to implement them? Right. So they really are kind of meant to solve the issue of skills gaps and support employability, but also lifelong learning in general, more flexible learning paths. And like I said, the centrality of the learner has become very important in the European policy on higher education so that the learner is at the center of the learning, but also the owner of the credentials themselves. And uh, defining a clear framework for micro-credentials as different from simply collecting credits and diverse range of budgets and attendance certificates here and there is meant to give a more formal status to the learning that has taken place and thereby also make their recognition easier. And that, of course, will add value to the learner, and I would imagine also motivate them more to get engaged in lifelong learning, if it really is recognized and and somehow formalized. And from the employment perspective, what we've heard is that often skills needed in the labor market do not necessarily require years of study and are better addressed by very focused and specific courses that do not take very long to complete. So they are perfect to fill the gaps here and there and to quickly react to a need that may arise. And some kind of those kind of needs we've really seen coming up in the past year due to COVID. So when I was browsing through some of the MOOC platforms, which also host many of these micro-credentials, I've seen so many programs on things like public health for not health professionals or use of online tools for management, all kind of programs that have really become more important in these times. So, of course, kind of additional learning, topical learning has always been possible. Um, but the beauty of micro-credentials is that they formalize that either non-formal learning experience or a subsection of formal learning into a clear, readable credential. So it allows people who take those credentials to demonstrate that learning in a clear manner and, um, and kind of show these are really the skills and competencies and knowledge that I've gained. 
So I think they are a wonderful thing. And I cannot wait for my first micro-credential to start in the summer. I've just signed up for it. So I'm very excited about that. I think we all should know what I'm talking about when I'm talking about micro-credentials. So I have that experience then as well. But of course, from the point of view of higher education regulation, many, many questions arise. So we create problems with this solution to other problems related to quality assurance, credit allocation, recognition, how, by whom, for what purpose, and so on. And our mantra is that the European tools we have for all of these, the ECTS, the qualification frameworks, the quality assurance systems we have in place, the Lisbon Recognition Convention, all can and should apply to micro-credentials as well. But we are also aware that they might need to be revisited. And we have to really consider how exactly they can be used in a useful manner for micro-credentials. And just to give an example from close to home, from the quality assurance world, we know very well that quality assurance can be lengthy and labor-intensive process for a program or for an institution. So it is clear that we could not possibly suggest that each micro-credential should go through an external evaluation by an accreditation agency. That would be just a crazy workload for everybody and far, far too slow to react to this quick, on-demand, almost creation of them. So we need to make sure, on the other hand, that they are still quality assured, but perhaps it's best done within the internal quality assurance system of an institution. But to do that might require a little adjustment of the existing systems in some countries particularly. And at the same time, we think the same quality criteria should still be valid. We don't want to create a kind of a B-class education track, or, or we also want to avoid that the institutions would be able to offer accredited courses and programs, and at the same time, also non-accredited higher education courses and programs. That would lead to a lot of confusion and risk uh, kind of misleading students as well. But then, of course, the elephant in the room is that while all the European tools can be applied, we think, to all the provision by higher education institutions with a little tweak here and there, the, the big question is, how can we regulate, if at all, micro-credentials offered by other providers, by companies, by charities, by public authorities? And what I like to remind people of is that micro-credentials is not trademark. It's not a, owned by the higher education sector. And in that sense, ultimately, we have no control over how micro-credentials are defined and used. So I think what is really key is the transparency of information on what is what, so that the students and institutions and employers can verify the status and, and thereby also maybe get an understanding of how they can be used. So we are discussing at the moment maybe a voluntary label that certifies eventually through self-certification that the provider follows the requirements of the European framework which still has to be completed, of course, and that might also support the transparency of information. Oh, that's really exciting. You know, the, the challenges that it sets up or the complexities that are introduced, but the nimbleness of the opportunities that are embedded in, in micro-credentials, really a lot to think about there. Changing gears just a, a little bit, of course, you know that the EAE's core interest is internationalization in higher education. You yourself have a deep background in this area, particularly in the European context. And I was wondering, you know, drawing on that knowledge, if you could talk us through a little bit some of the ways that the introduction and more widespread uptake of micro-credentials 
could have an impact on some of the core aspects of internationalization as we currently know them. So anything from international student recruitment, outbound student mobility, partnerships, those types of things. Well, first of all, I think micro-credential will allow for a lot more of what uh, we call virtual mobility. So they allow more and more students than before to be exposed to an international experience. Um, And maybe they can help us to achieve those ambitious objectives for student mobility and international exposure that we have set up for ourselves in Europe. And taking this a step further, I think Explicit institutional policies were put up to allow and perhaps even encourage students to take some of their electives as micro-credentials from other institutions. That, I think, would be a very exciting development. It would really allow students to widen their options and be exposed to potentially very different teaching styles and learning cultures. I mean, I would say sky is the limit, but the globe is the limit at that point. And that, uh, I think, is a fantastic idea. And motivating the students to do that, of course, through the gained credits being used towards their degree. We have also seen some joint provision of micro-credentials, and I know of a number of the European university alliances, both from the first selection round and of the new one, that are planning to offer some micro-credentials as a consortium, as an alliance. So they are finding their way also to international partnerships, for sure. Whether that helps new partnerships to come up. I don't know that, but uh, but why not? And what I've heard is that sometimes institutions mention that one of the reasons to offer micro-credentials is to make themselves better known to a wider group of people. So they, it allows the institutions, so to say, to cast their net a bit wider to reach students and learners they wouldn't otherwise reach, either because of geographical location or because of the time engagement required, etc. So this could be a kind of a recruitment tool as well, not perhaps in terms of sheer numbers, because often micro-credentials are also taken by learners who are not planning to get into a full degree education, but they can be very powerful in the sense that they really connect the learner to that institution. So it's almost like having been on a little mobility to that institution. In theory, I think they could also have an adverse impact on physical mobility, but I cannot really imagine that to be the case in practice. I think those who really want to go and have an experience in other country will still want to really do that physically. But they offer the opportunity for those who, for whatever reason, cannot go physically to live in another country for a number of weeks or months. Uh, of course, it's a bit too early to say what will be the wider impact on internationalization. So we'll just have to wait and see what happens in the next years. Absolutely. We're all interested to see how this really will be developing further. You've already touched a bit on this uh, very important notion of employability and a link between micro-credentials and that aspiration. Are you able to say a little something about what we might know about the acceptance of micro-credentials in the labor market, particularly if one of the aspirations of international education agendas today is to position graduates for meaningful engagement in a globalized economy? Right. Interestingly, while this is really the policy priority, uh, what we know for the moment is very little, but we do know that employers actually are relatively unfamiliar with micro-credentials. A recently concluded project called MicroHE surveyed European employers, and the overwhelming majority did not know about micro-credentials at all. Uh, 
And those who did, they thought they were just attendance certificates for random lifelong learning programs. So we clearly have a lot of work to do there in order for that ambition to really be achieved. So there is not a lot of research on micro-credentials and employability, but a 2018 study in the US found out that almost three quarters of employers saw MOOCs positively, which makes me think that even with more reason, they should see micro-credentials positively. However, in the case of MOOCs, it was mainly for the presumed transferable skills or characteristics that they thought the kind of people who do MOOCs have that led to this kind of positive assessment. And those were curiosity, autonomy, ability to distance work, self-discipline. And of course, for micro-credentials, I would hope that the actual learning content would also be recognized and appreciated by employers, but there is no data on that yet. Very good. Well, again, another space to watch for sure. I'd like to conclude our conversation with a little bit of a forward-thinking exercise. In the last, you know, 10 years, when I would be talking with colleagues about technology in higher education, I would often take the position that technology was a revolution that just wasn't happening. We kept talking about it, but it really wasn't hitting its stride. Clearly, that has changed over the last year, and we're at a very, very different place with respect to that phenomenon of technology and higher education. In the same spirit, do you think that um, micro-credentials is really an idea whose time has come and that we're on the cusp or at the start of a real revolution here? Or do you anticipate that it will take some time before micro-credentials really are a definitive part of the education landscape around us? Well, it has surely been a revolution in the discussions at the policy level. Like I said earlier, I hadn't really heard about them uh, before last year, and this is now all we talk about (laughs) every day. But whether it's a lot of smoke for little fire, that I don't really know. But I think that the response is somewhere boringly in a kind of safe middle ground. What we saw with MOOCs a few years ago was that we started to discuss whether universities would all be closed in a few years. Everybody would be only taking MOOCs provided by a few top universities in the world. Well, this hasn't really happened, has it? And I don't think many of us expect any more that to happen either. But MOOCs, on the other hand, have their role and are here to say. So I think the same will be true for micro-credentials and in a reinforced manner because of the potential to be integrated into the higher education systems and have the credits, stackability to full degrees and recognition for um, degree awarding purposes. They will surely stay and grow in number. They offer tremendous flexibility to learners geographically in terms of topics. And I think also what we've lived in the past year will be boosting micro-credentials. We are all now much more used to everything E. We live online. So I'm sure that the interest in micro-credentials will also grow boosted by that. Um, We have had to get familiar um, with e-learning and that has opened our eyes to simply what is on offer I think and it has also killed some of the negative connotations related to online learning can it really be useful or not there is a lot um, less suspicion and resistance to micro-credentials that even just towards MOOCs uh, in the national discourse, in the policy-making processes, and by individuals uh, who, who intend to take those programs. And uh, it has made its way into policy agendas in different countries, and I think that will boost the provision substantially. 
according to my crystal ball, therefore, they will become a solid part of our higher education landscape and with a recognized position. And not least because the EU is very strongly pushing that. But they will not anytime soon by themselves start to replace traditional degree education. That I cannot really imagine. Even through stacking, I think the kind of usual normal program will still remain the majority approach to higher education. And of course, we live in a very diverse Europe. So we will surely observe very different levels of uptaking of micro-credential between countries. And also the purposes and policies related to them will consequently be quite different and depend on national priorities. Maria, this has been a wonderfully informative conversation with you. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today. Thank you. That was Maria Kello, Director for ENQUA, the European Association for Quality Assurance in Higher Education. If you're interested in exploring some additional resources on some of the topics we've addressed in this conversation on micro-credentials, please check out our session notes for this episode. And if you like what you're hearing, we hope you'll consider subscribing to our podcast series or writing a review about us on your preferred podcast platform. Our next episode will be released in just two weeks' time. Meanwhile, you might be interested in connecting with the EAE in some other ways. For example, registration for the EAIE Community Exchange opens just next week on May 26. We hope you'll book your place to join us for what looks to be another busy and exciting online EAA conference in late September. Thank you again for listening to the EAE podcast. Until next time, all good wishes to you from the EAE.